Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I'm talking to my friend and colleague, Laura Keefe. Hello, Laura. <laughs> Hello, Laura. <laughs> so my first question is, what is your choice of virtual or real biscuit today? Um, well, I kind of am cheating. I'd like to. So my virtual choice is a pink wafer oh. because they're pink and they're fabulous and then my real life choice that I have with me is um a shortbread that I actually bought for my parents from the Lake District oh delicious yeah. wafer I haven't had a pink wafer in decades yeah they're great I don't think they're that good in tea though that's the only thing oh, fair point um and where are you how's your lockdown going paint me a picture um, I am currently at my mum and dad's house in Sheffield and I am in their uh, little extension which I've kind of commandeered as my space. So it's my yoga studio in the morning and then it's my workspace and then it's like my home cinema. <laughs> so I spend all day in here. So I'm a bit surprised at that because when did you, we might go back to this later, but I thought you were in Keswick. So when did you move from Keswick to Sheffield? Yeah, I've been, I'm, uh, I moved just over a week ago, so I'm going into my second week here in Sheffield. But I was in Keswick when lockdown happened, because that's where we do Mallory Towers. And I spent the first five weeks in Keswick, which was the best decision I ever made. I know. Well, you kept sending really sort of tantalisingly beautiful pictures of the landscape and your hourly exercise looked like the best of anybody's. Yeah, I think uh, or, or three hourly exercise climbing mountains and walking around lakes. Um, yeah, no, it was it was beautiful. <laughs> she didn't go up for three hours. We'll get we'll get on to Keswick later, but I'm gonna um, kick off our music choices with. Uh, an excerpt from the first show that we worked on together we'd met before but the first show we worked on was Romantics Anonymous and this is the hymn as I call it from the Romantics Anonymous meetings the emotifs people that find life a bit too emotional so here we are it's the emotifs when I'm anxious and obsessive when I'm struggling for air when I'm lonely Salesman make an offer, I accept. Try 
I'm Remy. Hello, Remy. Je suis their motif. Basically what happens is I'm nervous around women So I talk about computers and the monologue extends And before I know what's happening I discover that I'm rambling Spewing technical vernacular that no one comprehends Then I see they have no interest Which increases my discomfort And because I'm feeling anxious I try harder to impress So I'm spouting facts and figures about JavaScript to basic Get this poor suffering woman who could not care less I'm Remy, je suis un motif We're both sort of shedding your mind and tear, aren't we? It's a bit of a hymn for lockdown as well, isn't it? Yeah. I'm really glad that you chose that one from that show, actually, because I, I didn't. I thought you might choose a, a different one, but um, I just love them so much. And I know I remember in the show that if there was anyone in the audience that wasn't quite on board, the moment that the emotives came out, that was when everyone got on board. Because just suddenly they were... It was a stage full of these weirdos who... You were just so relatable, like where everybody is. Struggle with struggling. life, like we all do. Yeah. And I yeah. should just say that brilliant song, music by Michael Kuman, lyrics by the brilliant Chris Diamond. Hello, Michael and Chris, if you're listening from New York. So, oh, yeah. So let's go back a little bit. We met um, at The Globe. And in fact, you came to work on another show. The first time I met you was when you um, assisted on Two Gentlemen of Verona. Yes, yes. So talk to um, me a little bit. Take me back. Talk to me about your your journey as a director and what brought you to the Globe eventually. Oh gosh, that's that's long. Um, well, uh, I um, I started directing about 10, 15 years ago, and uh, I I moved to London like Dick Whittington. I had no job or. or um, university or drama school to go to. I just packed my bags and I moved down and um, started working in front of house. 
Yeah, from Sheffield. Um, and I uh, was very cheeky and I kind of rang up all the theatres and was like, what do you do? And uh, one of them, the Young Vic, uh, is a, it's kind of the National Theatre for Directors and they ran a course. So I got accepted onto Instructions Directing course, which was ran by Matthew Dunster, who later became your Associate Director at The Globe. Yes. Uh, and he thought I was all right. So took me on and kind of mentored me and got me work. And he's who eventually then got me into coming and work with you guys at the Globe. Which at the time I remember being a little bit confused about because um, I, uh, one, I hadn't been assisting that much and I wasn't, and I'd already worked at the Globe. It was one of my first jobs. I assisted on a show there many moons ago. Uh, and also I'd worked on Two Gentlemen of Verona before. I actually assisted Matthew on it. Um, which for the like least stage Shakespeare show, I, know. I was kind of confused why he thought it was a good idea that I did it a second time. <laughs> and I'm probably the only person that's ever done two productions of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the odds are against that, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that I did because um, I met you uh, and I met the lovely Nick Bagnell, who's become a friend and worked with an amazing group of people uh, Jim Fortune and Tom Jackson Grieve and some wonderful actors um, and yeah it got me into the Globe and in the building when you were there and you were running it and it just felt like such a wonderful time to be there and it felt like I could be there when I maybe hadn't felt like I fitted in there before Oh and you certainly did You fit, the minute I met you I was like this is one top bird you know <laughs> really got you got your work ethic um, and you got me as well, which was really exciting. But talk a little bit more because you've got such an unusual route into directing. As you say, not going to drama school, just going into the industry. And one of the things I love um, when I hear you talk to younger directors and because you've helped me at the School for Wise Children is when you talk about how you used the fact that you worked front of house and a box office at <laughs> theatres to your advantage. Talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hope these people aren't listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I, um, I suppose I do have quite an unusual route because I, I, I got the theatre bug quite young. I danced when I was younger. I did youth theatre. Uh, and I think I initially thought I wanted to act because that's the first that's the first people that you see when you go into a theatre, but I was rubbish. I mean, it took me a while to work out what the different jobs were and that I wanted to direct. And I think by that point, university and drama school just didn't feel like an option for me. And I, I never was really into academia. So um, I'd been really fortunate. I worked at the Crucible in Sheffield and, and the artistic director and associate director that were there at the time were really good and they always had the door open and... I kind of learned that theatres, the producing theatres, offer a lot of kind of workshops and free training opportunities for uh, for people. So when I came to London, I was aware that was a situation. So I kind of knocked up all the theatres that were producing, but also to pay my rent, I started working as, well, initially on the bar and then as an usher because I got demoted because I was so useless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or always having time off to make shows. Uh, but yeah, I started working in the West End um, and it was it was vital in terms of it made me not very much money, but enough money to pay my rent. Um, it was just evening, so it meant I could go and assist or direct my own stuff in the day. And they also, everybody that works in theatres, particularly in London, probably are out of work actors or writers or directors. So the, the people that ran the theatres was really good. And I used to 
use the theatre in the daytime to hold auditions or rehearse readings. I'd always print my scripts off there, print out like 200 pages worth of, of plays. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd, I'd beg them for tickets so I could do like a, a quiz and raise some money for a show I was taking to Edinburgh and that would be the prize. Yeah. I just um, love it. I just feel that you're a pin-up for making things happen in a really unusual way. And I just also think that there's an entrepreneurial spirit in the way that you've managed your career that is unlike anybody else I've ever met. So I really wanted to hear you talk about that because I love love how you just... (laughs) packed your bags and then have, have, have worked your way around theatre and also you're so well connected I love the fact if ever I'm struggling to cast somebody you've met so many young actors so many um young creatives as well you're you're you've you've managed to make a huge network for yourself that I'm just in awe of oh thanks <laughs> I I mean I I can't I I'm in or and have so much respect for you and what you did that identified that maybe actually taking yourself out of London enabled you to make your work and make the work that you wanted to make in the way that you wanted to make it and carve out your own niche that you know now everyone recognizes and that's why they employ you but that's interesting because I think I think that's true but I had to get out of London to find my entrepreneurial way of making a network but you're the only person I know who's sort of done it underground in London yeah. <laughs> Via selling ice creams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got so many good stories from selling ice creams, one involving James Corden. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because I do, <laughs> I should not repeat it. Um, I, I, I do think about it sometimes because I, I, I'm pleased actually that I took that route and that I, I have genuinely probably worked for most theatres in the country. Um, and, and a lot of that was because I just needed to take any job that I could to, to pay the rent. So I do a lot of work with young people in drama schools and universities. Um, but also it's just meant that I've worked with so many people. And I think that's what I'm like, that's my nature. I, I have a lot of friends, I'm very sociable, I'm very nosy. Um, so I kind of like to have a lot of fingers in lots of pies. Which is very good for a director and very good for me as well, because you do really <laughs> help me out. You're, you're my go-to person when I'm sort of trying to find somebody. Um, let's have another piece of music. I'm gonna, afraid I'm going to do the second one as well before I get onto your choices, because um, I the next time we worked together after Romantics Anonymous at The Globe was um, you came and helped me with Brief Encounter, a show that I'd remade many times and was opening in... Um, the cinema on Haymarket at the same time that I was leaving the Globe and it was the coldest winter going into the hottest <laughs> summer wasn't it my memory is we didn't have a single normal day of weather in this um, in this non-purpose built building with no air conditioning and but you were fantastic you came and joined the team and brought a whole new energy to me and the work and gave me such a lift at quite a tricky time for lots of reasons so let's just enjoy a little bit of go slow johnny from brief encounter slow johnny maybe she'll come to her senses if you give her a chance Are sensitive plants 
right art to trample the soil and spoil romance. Go slow, Johnny. No sense in rushing your fences till you know that you know. Your stars are bright for you, bright for you. Mark their courses, hold your horses, speak low, Johnny. Tiptoe, Johnny. Go slow, Johnny. Go. signs they'll indicate a bit Johnny which direction to go rely on time and tact face the fact you're no Brando Valentine Oh, 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 Johnny, tiptoe, Johnny, go slow, Johnny, go slow, go slow. senses if you give her a chance people's feelings are sensitive plants try not to trample the soil and spoil Slow. 
Oh, the beautiful tones of Stu McLaughlin singing Go Slow Johnny from the original cast of Brief Encounter. I mean, what a crazy time was that? Oh, it was mental. It was the beast from the east. That's why it was so cold. It, it was, was, wasn't it? I remember it was... Yeah, and I think for the, the only time I ever remember, there was no transport in London. The buses had stopped. We were on the Haymarket and the street was covered in snow. And, um, and and they kept the doors open because we're doing, they were like bringing all the set in. So we just yeah. sat in the cinema with doors open, the beast from the east, no heating. The coldest I've ever been in England. Yeah, and then the following week it was 30 degrees. <laughs> and the four <laughs> actors, they were either literally hypothermic or passing out from heat stroke, weren't they? It was just a sort of ridiculous and incredible time. And didn't we get so cold we used to trudge our way through the snow up to the cinema near Piccadilly because we could warm up couldn't we we could st- it was the only place that had any heating yeah because we had those makeshift kind of gas gas canister heating which were very unsafe and <laughs> <laughs> um, also my memory of that is that um they there weren't any cleaners or the cinema hadn't been in use for ages so it was really dirty front of house there's like popcorn everywhere so you requested a vacuum and a bin bag and then you cleaned all the auditorium. <laughs> so I've got a video of you like a woolly hat and you, and your thermals on vacuuming. <laughs> I think I was just wearing all my clothes in one go, vacuuming. But as you know, yeah. I am a woman who likes to clean the auditorium for a tech. It's true, it's true. I'm, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Because they're creative animals, aren't they? They just buy coffee, buy snacks and never chuck them away. But then they're working so hard, I feel, well, the least I can do is just clear it away for them. But anyway, yeah, we don't always me. have that much to do at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but directors don't have that much to do in tech because everybody else, when everybody else gets busy, doesn't it? So, yeah, I turn into cleaning lady because I always think we're a proud people. You need to keep a creative, clean space. When did I turn into that person? <laughs> Maybe you always were that person. Well, probably. My mum wouldn't say that. I was very, very messy as a teenager, but get tidier now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we did brief, and then um, I left the Globe. Um, Romantics was playing right up to the end, so that was um, you were by my side through the the whole of that last chapter. Um, and then Wise Children was born. And you came and joined Wise Children for um, the production of Mallory Towers, which has been really special for both of us, hasn't it? Yeah, very much so. It's been a big part of uh, our lives the last few years. It has. I mean, I'm grinning thinking about it because it's still such a ridiculous project. Can't believe it happened, really. But it's been so much about young people and young women and a spirit of hope and generosity. And both companies have bonded into the most extraordinary teams and I think you've been a really big part of that as my associate you often um, are more in the body of a company than I am sometimes but talk to me a little bit about those companies it's it's a funny one actually because I suppose this is uh, the the majority of them are new to you as well which is quite an unusual situation to be in and and actually the majority of them have been new to me whereas I think both of us um, have actors that we regularly work with and, and have got familiar with those companies. So it was really exciting to have brand new actors and really young actors that are fresh out of drama school and are super talented. Like there's nothing that any of them can't do. They all sing like angels, play all the instruments, dance <laughs> incredibly. Um, and we're all kind of 
just very unique and special individuals. And I think that's the same as all the characters in, in Mallory Towers and that's what, what worked. And I suppose I sat somewhere in the middle of, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not their age, I'm not their generation. But then I'm somewhere kind of in the middle of them and, and you and your creative What are you saying, Laura? So. Are you saying that I like, I'm even older? <laughs> Just a little bit, like, you know, a couple of years older than me. No, you're absolutely it's, it's, right. You you hold on to me at one end and them at the other. It's been really, really enjoyable. It's a funny situation. Yeah, it's a strange situation to be in when you find that you're not part of the young group anymore I was always because I was um my birthday's in August the very end of August so I was always the youngest at school you know sort of just yeah um and I was the youngest in the family and then I was the youngest who went to drama school and for eight for years I was the youngest and it's I I still wake up and think surely I'm the baby but there's a funny moment (laughs) when you're not anymore and Mallory Towers really is the illustration of that because, like you say, there's this amazing energy and brilliant young people just making phenomenal work. Um, we'll talk a bit about the passenger shed in a minute, but let's introduce your first choice of music and why. My first choice of music is from Mallory Towers. It's the first piece of music that is played in Mallory Towers. Um, and I have to say, shamefully, that in, before we did Mallory Towers the first time, I never had heard of this artist or this song. And she's now probably the biggest recording artist in the world. Um, and I am now a mega fan and I've listened to her album loads. Um, and uh, it's Billy Eilish, Bad Guy. Wait, shoot, no red sleeping, you're on your tippy toes creeping around like no one knows, think you're so criminal Bruises on both my knees for you, don't say thank you Oh please, I do what I want when I'm wanting to My so, so cynical So you're a tough guy, like you really rough guy Just can't get enough
that i mean i love that piece of music the minute i heard it on the radio i was like oh i want to use that and and at the time when we first did mallory towers it really only just been released so i felt it was a real marker for any young people coming to see that show that they'd go wait a minute we thought we were going to see something set in the 1940s and billy eilish is playing um and i still love it but now i get the adrenaline because whenever that started playing we knew the show was going to start so I yeah. that sort of beginner's <laughs> call feeling oh my god yeah we start is everybody ready um, and in my, me- my i remember you chose it as well yeah. i remember being in the rehearsal room with the really young cast and and you saying to them what what do you think people listen what would kids listen to in school at the moment and none of them had any idea and you chose that piece of music i did but i've got well, I think I heard it on Radio 1 and just thought, what an amazing sound. And then I asked my stepkids, is, is this cool? And they both said yes. And at that point, that never happens. I never <laughs> suggest cool music to them. So I thought, well, I'm onto a winner here if I like it and they think it's cool. So, yeah. Passenger Shed. Um, we've mm-hmm. done all the elements, haven't we? Because if we open <laughs> Brief Encounter in The Beast from the East, we opened Mallory Towers in the heat wave. 40 degrees in another building without any air conditioning or windows or doors. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. But also, it wasn't just the passenger shed. We had two rehearsal space beforehand. And for some reason, the aircon didn't work in those spaces. I don't know if you can remember, but we oh, were yeah. roasting in, yeah. in, in East London. And then when we got to Bristol, boiling. It was, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? And so when we'd got those big gas heaters in the Haymarket Cinema in London and in the passenger shed we had those pathetic coolers which were like we had they were massive really expensive and we had to fill them up with water really noisy but it was as if it was just like a tiny whisper of cool air wasn't it <laughs> you had yeah. to stand right close to it to try and get your body temperature down yeah I have a picture of you I think stood in front of it with your top over the fan <laughs> trying to get some <laughs> get some coolers out your back so I resorted and I went to Wilkinson's and I bought us a pound little hand fan. Which was the best thing anybody's <laughs> ever bought me, one of those, um, yeah, battery little fans. But I had to not try and not complain too much because the poor cast were yeah. wearing woolen blazers, woolen gym slips, um, shirts, and then underneath it, those sort of vintage bathing costumes as well. So I kept thinking, God, if they can do dance routines wearing wool I can't complain too much but it was a really extreme way to open the show but it was just so full of joy so full of joy mm. and and then went on to do a lovely tour which you took care of yes I went to all the, the venues on tour which was delightful so um, for anybody who's listening so Laura is um, my associate um, which is sort of one step up from an assistant because she's definitely one step up. I'm really lucky to work with you. But for anybody listening, describe what that job is, being an associate director, what you do, what your tasks are. I It's quite similar to being an assistant initially. So I'm in the rehearsal room with you and I'm assisting you in the rehearsal room. Um, and if it's a remount, so we've now remounted Mallory Towers and Romantics Anonymous, 
then um, in that instant, I'm often kind of getting up and giving all the blocking before you kind of get your teeth into it. So I've got a, a marked up script of what we did last time. Um, but then when the show is up and running and it goes out on the road, um, for both of those shows, we've had understudies. So I uh, work with the understudies. Uh, I rehearse them. I get them up to speed. I work out what happens if anyone ever goes off sick, what that means for the rest of the cast and the creative team and the stage management and crew. Um, and then I go to all the tour venues and I'll tech each show in. So just uh, make sure I'm there on the first day, make sure that it's looking and sounding lovely. And then do a little bit of um, a little bit of stroking, a little bit of listening, just making sure everyone's all right and not falling out on tour. And then give you a call and let you know what's going on. It's a really big job. It's a really big job. And one that I, elements of it, I literally wouldn't know where to start so the way that you can break down the show into understudy tracks and what would happen mm. to every prop in the instance of somebody going off is such a detailed bit of work that you do so easily you don't sort of weigh anybody down with that you take a huge burden which is sort of looking at the worst case <laughs> scenario which always happens you can't have a long tour without somebody having a personal crisis or an illness and you just take away that stress and um, make it work for the whole company but also moving it into the the technique and skill needed of your when you take shows into the tour venues um, I really appreciate your expertise and knowledge on that. And I always think there's one thing, like you can teach loads of things. You can teach process, you can teach practicalities, you can teach facts and you can learn a show. But the thing that you cannot teach is judgment and that's mm. where trust comes. And I think you have such great judgment. You have great judgment the way that you manage a company, but great judgment artistically. And that means the world to me because when I leave you in charge of the show, I have total trust yeah. in, in you. It's still going to be the same show when you come back. <laughs> well, well, it might not be the same show, but your judgment will mean that it's either a similar show or a better show. Yeah. And that, you know, and that I really don't underestimate that. Oh, well, thanks so much. It. Appreciate it, that, Ricky. <laughs> I I think it's be, one because we're quite similar, but I think also it's I I I'm always aware that it's your work, that it's Malcolm's work or Etta's work or all the wonderful people that we work with. So I just want to be really respectful for that, and also kind of use the same vocabulary and language that you guys use as well. So the actors aren't like, oh, "Who's this? What? We didn't talk about that in rehearsals." They're just reiterating stuff that we've already done. Which is why it's so vital that you're embedded as an associate right from the middle, the beginning of the mm. process so that you really do know all the team and know all, why all those decisions have been made so that when something changes, you employ all that knowledge and make great choices, which is where my point mm. about your judgment comes in. Brilliant. Thanks, Emma Rice. Come on, let's have another song from Mallory Towers. It's the signature song. Let's have a bit of Andrew Sisters, please. Sing, ooh, ooh, wah, ooh, now you're singing with a swing. Sing, 
sing, sing, sing. Everybody start to sing. Ooh, ooh, ah, Now you're singing with a swing. When the music goes around, everybody goes to town. But here's something you should know. Oh, ah, baby, oh, oh, oh. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody start to sing. Ooh, ooh, ah, Now you're singing with a swing. Swing, 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 swing. Listen to the trumpet swing. fast in the show do we <laughs> well, they wouldn't be able to breathe they're doing all the dance moves at the same time i think they're already <laughs> struggling maybe next time that's the speed we can go for so we were busy remounting mallory towers for its huge um uk tour we were going to open in keswick in the lake district and we dissembled an almost entirely new cast bar two of the original team and we were about to, and we were improving it left, right, and centre. The show was growing and building. The company was astonishing and had bonded so fiercely. And every time we came to work, they'd have been in half an hour before us or an hour before us, practicing the dances, playing together. It was such a tight company, and there was such a palpable excitement in the room at the same time as COVID was, the COVID story was starting. And we felt for such a long time like it wasn't going to affect us. We were in this beautiful place. We were kind of only seeing each other. It felt really impossible to imagine that this virus was going to touch us and this magic show and this magic company in this magic place. But it did. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, it was a really strange time, I think, because... Because it, it, we were so far away from our homes and from a big city and really isolated in this beautiful, uh, beautiful area in the Lake District. And as you said, they bonded so well that we were just in this lovely little bubble. It was a, a joy to come into rehearsals every day. It was only when you went home and switched the news on that any of that kind of seeped into our lives. Um, 
And I mean, we managed to get to the end of rehearsals and the, the set got put up. And I think for a bit, we thought we'd get into theatre and we'd managed to be able to tech it, but it just became apparent that we weren't going to be able to. I think we were one of the last shows in the industry still rehearsing and still standing. We left it to the last minute, didn't we? Yeah, and in that final week, we were all really scared. We obviously had loads of friends that were working on shows here or over on Broadway, and we didn't we didn't dare tell them that we were still working because we thought we were the only company still going. <laughs> but so yeah, like, we did not tell anyone. We had the secret plan that if we could get the show teched, then it would be ready to go in the future whenever the you know the restrictions which at that point we didn't we thought might not last that long we'd be ready to go but it was really um I found it really moving I found that company really moving um and it's continued so several of you stayed up in Keswick for some time how many weeks have you been up there um for five weeks and it was myself and two of the actors so Georgia Bruce and Katie Ellis and we stayed up there for five weeks and there was a few days where um, some more of the the casting company hung around and that's because for a lot of um, actors particularly younger actors when you're about to embark on a seven month tour you often give up your accommodation because you don't want to be paying rent in two places so for a lot of these young actors they actually didn't know where to go back to when we said this is off we we need to stop work um so it was really special and it was special for me this little house in Keswick um which had which harbored the Mallory Towers girls for a while <laughs> um you staged a quiz for us didn't you yeah we did a Mallory Towers quiz I think it was the first week of lockdown so we were still very much missing you all and missing our missing our old life um so we did a special Mallory Towers quiz uh, that involved a bar we had a bartender and, a bar. <laughs> and we we'd made ourselves some costume and um, a, a backdrop and we'd done quiz rounds all about Mallory Towers. <laughs> and and the, I, my, um, I loved that, but the thing that I loved the most and I was maybe going to choose this song was that we did a little interval and when we went on a break, I just thought I'd put some music on just to kind of fill, fill the silence. And I think I put Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. And nobody went to the toilet or to go and get a drink. They just stayed and danced their hearts out. So there were all these, these images on Zoom of everyone in their houses just like going wild dancing. It's an absolute yeah. highlight of my lockdown. It was really joyful. And you put so much work into it, you three. It was a really <laughs> impressive production you put on. And um, I was also, my ego was very pumped because one of the rounds was about me. Which we didn't realise until the end. But, but there was one of the thing that makes me laugh is one of the questions which it turned I and I I got I got a hint. I, I said to Simon, my partner, I said, I think the round's about me. So I was I got the clues and I was answering the questions because obviously it was about me. And then one of them was what does Kim Kardashian what's Kim Kardashian famous for? And, and Carol Waterman and, and Carol some of the Waterman. people what awards they won yeah well that would be their bottoms but I thought what's that got to do with me and you were thinking about a midsummer <laughs> night's dream and bottom and I thought it was because when I bought a new pair of jeans you said my bottom looked good in it <laughs> and my poor middle-aged ego actually thought it was because I had a good ass <laughs> I mean your bottom does look great in those jeans so I mean it, it works on both levels but it made me really laugh that it didn't cross my mind that it was a Shakespeare reference and also Midsummer Night's Dream is in Mallory Towers as well so 
As always, that's, the last Shakespeare party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that you didn't get the Shakespeare one, yeah. But thank you. Okay, that, that time in Keswick, we'll, we'll, we'll all remember it because it was the time that, you know, lockdown happened and our lives changed. But you were such an amazing person in the middle of that company. You were the glue that held us all together. So thank you for that. What's thank your you. next choice of music and why? Um, my next choice of music is, um, I, I thought I should maybe, although now I've talked loads about it, but I had, I thought I should talk a little bit about my own work. And um, although nowadays I mostly solely work for wise children, I still squeeze a few of my own shows in in the middle. Um, so I wanted to play you a song from a show that I made. And it's by an artist called Brigitte Aphrodite, who is probably the most... Um, my most significant collaboration as a director. Um, I worked with Brigitte for about 10 years on and off and we've made two full-length shows, one of which I made at exactly the same time as Mallory Towers uh, last year. Um, and the first one that we made is a show called My Beautiful Black Dog. And it's uh, an autobiographical piece about Brigitte's experience of depression. Um, and uh, it's I think it's the show that I'm most proud of. It's a real heart piece. We made it over many years on no money whatsoever and spent many evenings driving flight cases around or sticking props together. <laughs> um, and uh, I think the work that I make with Brigitte is probably the, the most representative of, the, of me as an artist. And I think working with Brigitte made me consider myself to be an artist as well. She's the outward expression of what's happening internally for me. Um, she's a, a feminist showgirl. Um, and we made this show with Quiet Boy, who is her real life partner. Um, and they both perform the show together. So it's not only an insight into someone dealing with depression, but also what it's like to live with someone with depression. Um, and it's not depressing. And it's called Crescendorious from My Beautiful Black Dog. Fine. I was stood in the middle of Soho Square And all my favourite people were standing there And I was screaming, I was singing I am still you girl, I am still, I am still, I am still, I am still I heard a posh voice in the crowd, it was Simon, I'm still I said, Simon darling, I'm thirsty He whops out a couple of cans of I'm still We glug them down in two glugs Glug, 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 glug then I woke and realised that we not spoke And I woke and realised that my heart broke That I'm not still your girl and I don't know Simon am still If you return, if you return the turn, turn tables We'll have turned, I look like Tina Turn a turn, I'm Shay I'll be so impressed with my big gig Of other people's hearts so easily. 
sun Except for the sun Through you in my eyes You'll never be fair or hard You are the sun You are the blazing sun You are the one If you return If you return the turn Turn tables We'll have turn I look Latina Turn the turn Off share I'll be so impressed With my big gets up up of hair No it'll definitely be Tina Turner Turn around You're an artist Wanna turn a prize Prize now In your eyes I'm a prize Turnip You said I made life More like fireworks For you and the close to me well that is the most loveliest thing that anybody has ever ever said to me and in my fireworky display you are the starry starry night you are the van gogh any day you are the head shoulders knees and toes head shoulders knees and toes toto woof woof where's toto singling red wine you are trudy garland you are gay pride it's a wonderful life Absolutely brilliant, Laura. Oh, it's so nice to hear it. Um, can I do a shout out for them because they are struggling artists in lockdown? Um, so you, if you want to hear the whole album of My Beautiful Black Dog, you can find it on Brigitte Aphrodite's Instagram. And you can also find Very Quiet Boy on Instagram, who's an incredible musician in his own right. And they're uh, in Margate at the moment, living with a fabulous drag queen and uh, putting loads of art and music out online. So go help the artists out <laughs> done yay so looking beyond lockdown wherever that might be we've got adventures ahead of us <laughs> so do, um you've been a big part of the school for wise children um which is a big part of the company which is where we're training the next generation of ensemble theater makers and for each place that is paid for we give a place away and your expertise in teaching and working with people has really come into its own um with that so we've got wise children to look forward to and Wuthering Heights you're going to be my associate on Wuthering Heights yay fingers crossed that it happens it happens soon (laughs) well I've got I'm touching anything that I can find I've i believe it's going to happen but when it happens is what we don't know but mm-hmm. you know I, it feels really important and it feels really ready and it, I think it's going to feel very right I think it's got a, a perfect degree of passion a perfect degree of anger and a perfect degree of sort of release and also hope and I think it's going to be exactly what we all want which is a big fat emotional night out with the with the sense of hope yeah. at the end and I think you've done such an incredible job on the script because we had a, a zoom read through recently <laughs> didn't we when we were meant to be um, doing a workshop so instead we read it and I think 
you've done such an amazing job to get all that massive story and all those characters condensed into a play that makes sense and that you can actually follow who's who because there's so many different people in it. Um, and it and also that you found humour in something that's actually quite dark and quite bleak a lot of the time. I'm excited. Well, I've definitely done more work on the script than I would normally do because of <laughs> lockdown. You know, it's sort of meant it's meant that the process is slightly altered, and it's probably all the better for it. Which I'm loath to admit because, of course, all I want to do really is mess about in a rehearsal room with my mates. But it does work. Fine tuning a script. Yeah, and I think you undersell yourself as a writer because actually all the shows that I've done with you, the script is really ready and there's so much information in it. So we do play and have lots of fun in the rehearsal room and lots of incredible stuff comes out of that. But actually it's because you've spent often years kind of honing that script and those ideas and and someone else could, it wouldn't be as wonderful, but definitely someone could take that script and know exactly what they had to do with it because because you're such a good writer. Oh. No, which you never call yourself. I know, I, I struggle with that. I struggle, but thank you. I'll just blush for a bit and then <laughs> tell us about your last choice and why you've chosen it. I think you're going to kill me. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited about Wuthering Heights. So um, this song is for Wuthering Heights um, because when you first asked me to do it, uh, I started to, well, I read the, the book and then I started to like have a look at TV and film adaptations and just generally stuff that was inspired by Wuthering Heights. And it turns out that this song is about Wuthering Heights and it's about <laughs> Kathy and Heathcliff. Um, and, I, and I know also that um, you don't like the Kate Bush song. So I was trying thinking, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> It's just everybody keeps saying, are you going to have the Kate Bush song in it? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to have Kate Bush in my version of Wuthering Heights. I've got nothing against the song. It's just not going into my adaptation. You know, some people might say you're missing a trick, but what I've done is I found you a, I found you an alternative and I know Simon Baker's listening, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, it's... Um, it's uh, it's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion, and it's about ten minutes long, so expect the full version. Um, and um, as a little side note, I'm actually meant to go and watch Celine this year in October, so I oh, hope she's... fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so this is about uh, it's about Wuthering Heights, and um, I a little trivia. I always thought that Meatloaf wrote it, but he didn't. Apparently, it's some guy called Jim Steinman. He wouldn't let Meatloaf cover it because he said it had to be a woman singing it. So he let Celine do it. Um, wow. And yeah, and I love Celine because <laughs> she's mental and fantastic. Well, thank you for the, bringing some yeah. romantic cheese and rock Sorry. to Tea and Biscuits. Right. So before we sign off, thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for everything. And I want to say thank you. You're so bloody cool. You're so positive <laughs> and amazing energy. Your amazing ability and precision has really inspired and changed my process. And I thank you for your loyalty, your friendship and your vision as well. Thank you, Laura Keefe. You're the best. There were nights when the wind was so cold That my body froze in bed if I just listened to it right outside the window There were days when the sun was so cool And all the tears turned to dust and 
and I just knew my eyes were drying up forever. forever. I finished crying in the instant that you left, and I can't remember where or when or how. And I banished every memory you and I had ever made. But when you touch me like this, and you hold me like that, I just have to admit that it's all coming back to me. When I touch you like this, and I hold you like that, it's so hard to believe, but it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back, it's all coming back to me now. There were moments of gold, and there were flashes of light. There were things I'd never do again, but then they'd always seem to write.
give me all this If I forgive you all that We forgive and forget And it's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back to me now And when I touch you like that It's all coming back to me now If you do it like this it's all coming back to me now And if we If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye. <laughs>